Hello and welcome to Hashtag Talk To Me, the podcast. This is the very first in our Friday afternoon beers special. Today I'm being joined by Jake Filson, a triple threat. First of all, an employment lawyer who's helping out with legal tech to help individuals fight the good fight. He works for a very sexy new law startup called Kepler Wolf. He's also got some great perspective on careers for employment lawyers, having worked at big global law firms and also some smaller outfits too. He's also a kombucha entrepreneur. So for anybody who wants to understand what hard kombucha is, you better have a listen. And rounding out the triple of the triple threat is Jake's very brief flirtation with the world of legal recruitment, which, if anything, has only just given him the ability to give me a ribbing about all of the silly things that recruiters say and do. So sit back, relax, maybe have a beer and enjoy. Starting now is the podcast. Yeah, I feel- Fine. I feel like it's just going to be similar to people just sat in a pub with you and me having a listen to our chat. Well, I don't think that's, I think, to be honest, I said, I have the hashtag talk to Mayo, but how about I'm going to crack this open now, have a beer with me. Let's see if this, this sound will travel. Oh, oh, mate, that was class. Oh, I think that'd be nice. Be a nice little sound effect. Right. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I was going to say, because you've got your, 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 your mini series of wellness wednesday this can be unfit friday or fatty friday whichever you want yeah yeah definitely i think un- <laughs> uh, followed up by very very unwell saturday morning um, yeah exactly yeah well it, well in fact i think one of you uh, your last guests said that uh, one of the ways of uh, you know drinking healthily is starting early so i'm kind of following that and i did i started early so uh yeah um actually did say that she said um she said, that, yeah, you're going to start early and finish early. And to be, to be fair, I've actually tried that out uh, and it's worked for me. Well, it's, it's, it's the lack of sleep, isn't it? That's what it, I think that's what gets you. It's the lack of sleep. Also, what I've realised I'm lacking in is um, any friends. I mean, obviously I do have a couple, <laughs> but I mean, also like lacking in friends that have the, the ability to stay out for more than one or two drinks because everybody's sort of married or has kids or, um, you know, has a real job unlike me. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, my, my, my time in recruitment, uh, did give you that flexibility to kind of go and have a drink and not necessarily worry about the sore head. If anything, I think it made you better the next day kind of I, going I, out, having multiple coffees. I, I personally think you do your best recruitment when you're, you know, either slightly hungover still or after a couple of lunchtime pints. No, not that I ever did that. If anybody from <laughs> anybody from a previous employer is listening, did I do that? No, but if I had, I would have been great at recruiting in the afternoons. Just mm, saying. I think you were the, the, the pinnacle of uh, professionalism. I learned, I learned everything that I know about recruitment, which considering my short time in it, isn't that much, but everything I do know is from you, mate. I've been, no, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think there are, there's basically kind of three, three types of recruiter. Well, there's plenty of types of recruiter, but three types of legal recruiter in terms of their, their, their knowledge. I mean, you've got, on the one hand, kind of uh, the, the legal recruiter who literally doesn't have a clue, doesn't really care, is just there because they don't really know what else to do in their life. And, and, they, and they kind of meet up with you, and they're like trying to sell you a... Uh, clinical negligence job in Aberystwyth or something you're thinking yeah I don't know what, don't know what you're talking about so that's that's kind of your your one side and then you, you've got your kind of uh, legal recruit I suppose who, who is a know-it-all who knows more about what you do than you do and it's just like it's painful it's almost like they've got like employment law Tourette's or something like that. Oh, 2p transfer and you're just like what what are you going on about? Like, I don't, you're just saying employment law words in a random sequence and you're making a fool of yourself. Um, but I think there's kind of a middle way, which I think you've got and, you know, some of the other really good recruiters and I'm, you know, not just saying it to be a sycophant, but the good recruiters I've uh, kind of seen in action are, are the ones that I think, you, you know, you need a knowledge of, of uh, kind of the broad knowledge, but uh, you know you need to understand it in order to understand the p- person's kind of position and where they want to go and also obviously the client side and, and, and what what their expectations are but you know realistically a lot of these a lot of these lawyers are just kind of meeting you just for a free coffee and just for you to be kind of a sh- shoulder to cry on I think like they, they don't want to you to tell them about what they're doing they're trying to get away from that 
Uh, yeah, so, yeah. To, to be honest, like the, well, actually, here's, here's one thing I realised. When I, when I set up this podcast, I, I thought it would be a funny tagline to say, oh, it's, uh, you know, London's soon to be number one legal podcast hosted by London's 17th best legal yeah, recruiter. I so I thought, I thought, you know, 17th best, it's got like a funny, funny ring to it. Now I'm actually out of recruitment and I've connected a lot more with more recruitment people because I used to always assume other recruiters I was a, I, I didn't, I, I always thought probably rather snobbly thought oh, I'm not like the other recruiters I'm different and special I've realized there are literally thousands of legal recruiters and for me to say I'm the 17th best is probably quite offensive to uh, probably hundreds of people ahead of me in the pecking order ah no I mean look to be honest with you I've seen both on both sides uh you know, as a lawyer and in recruitment, I'm genuinely not trying to, you know, float your own boat, but you are, you're, you're up there. And I think it is because of that reason in the sense of, you know, you, you, well, you, you genuinely care and you're, you're diligent and you actually listen to uh, kind of, you know, what, what people, people have to say. And I think also you're very good at doing your research as I've seen from the other podcasts, like your, your knowledge is brilliant in the sense of, you, you, you're asking the right questions, and I think that's kind of all, all you uh, all you can expect from a recruiter, really. In terms of you know, as I say, you're not you're not there to, uh, to to be a lawyer, you know, and and the lawyer doesn't want that. So no, I, I think you're good, mate. Oh, mate, well, you're, you're too kind. Um, <laughs> now, now um, I, I put out a post recently uh, asking people for some examples of recruiters um, recruiters behaving badly. Because I always thought it'd be interesting to know, you know, what sort of goes on behind closed doors. One thing I did find out is that actually most of the most of the recruiters in in the legal industry fairly straight laced. I've heard some absolute horror stories from other uh, other industries, but I did come across a couple of gems which I wanted to run past you because I thought I thought you'd find it. Uh, I thought you'd find it quite interesting, um, particularly as you've been on on the law firm side and uh, on the recruitment side. Um, so I was I was contacted by, and I, I've, I'm going to change some some names here to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> I think you're naming shaman. Get get him on roll on Friday. Oh no! I so there was a story on roll on Friday, um, and I think on Legal Cheek recently about um, uh, a partner recruiter who sent an email, like a round robin email, to some candidates saying. I've just got off the phone with the managing partner of, I think it was one of the elite US law firms, one of the white shoe jobbies, um, basically giving it a big and saying, yeah, me and me and, me and Dave at so-and-so have just got off the phone. We've been having a chin wag. We want to talk to you about, uh, you know, a position within, within the firm. But obviously this email has then wended its way back through the, you know, through the LinkedIn email network to the managing partner of this firm. He's obviously gone, ah. Huh? I've never, I've ne- never spoken to this bloke in my life, and that story ended up in in uh, in Roll on Friday. I don't think they named and shamed, but they, uh, they 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 certainly told the told the story. Now, my initial reaction was to be like, lol, um, but then I actually thought about it and thought, Jesus, there's, I've probably spoken, you know, quote unquote, to the managing partner of about every law firm in 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 the city, and I never have. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that people say to give you, give themselves a bit of a cat. I live in fear of Roll on Friday. I even said when I put that post up about recruiters behaving badly, I was like, oh, someone's going to send me a story about myself and I'm just not going to realise it. <laughs> you, you do, you I think, do. I think one thing, one thing I found amazing about it, and I think your other post, the video that you did about uh, ringing up uh when you couldn't get through the, the, the secretary and saying that, um, you know, that, that you're a doctor and <laughs> that the parents terminally ill, which is, is a bit dark, but, but I mean, brilliant at the same time and, and kind of true in the sense of the, how far recruiters will go to get through to that um, person. And I, and I think the amazing thing and just uh, it kind of linked to what you were saying is I feel like you do start to believe your own bullshit a little bit because like you, I, I, I remember ringing up once and saying, can I speak to John Smith? And the secretary's obviously been trained in headhunting calls. So, so uh, you know, what's the matter? And you say, oh, it's a very important matter. And they're like, uh, well, give me the name of the matter. And you end up just getting annoyed. Like, this is outrageous. Put me through to the lawyer. And you're like, 
why, why, why have I actually taken the role of a disgruntled client? And I think that's the weird thing as a recruiter. You almost do start to believe your own bullshit. Um, yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. You, you, you definitely, you definitely do. It's, it's, it's hard because <laughs> basically it's an, it's an industry where you are parasitic on, you know, on, on the actual movers and shakers of that industry. And there's always this constant sort of attempt to have some kind of, uh, sense of importance about who you are and what you're doing you know it's an ego thing and also you, it's it, it's hard to accept that you're not you know you're not the be all and end all so yeah you do I think you do end up um, sometimes overstating your uh, importance and people do it to varying varying degrees but yeah I think I mean certainly in real life just for anybody who, who may be listening I, I, haven't, I have never pretended to be a, a hospital doctor um, <laughs> play, I, think, I think I think I think I heard you once pretend to be British Gas. That's about as far as uh, as far as. <laughs> to, to be to be honest though, if I was if I was at work and like my gas supplier was ringing me, would I would I call would I pick up that call? Probably not. I, I mean, I've heard some really truly awful stories, which are almost even though this isn't a, a, a PG podcast, I don't think I want to completely. I don't know if I want to damage the reputation of recruitment any more than it already is. Why, why, um, why do you think, I mean, why do you think recruitment has the reputation that has? Not in the sense of because people have done stupid things like that, but in the sense of does it attract people that does do stupid things or is it the sort of job where you're like, well, actually, it's just, I don't know, say being a lawyer because it's so highly regulated, you're quite conscious of your behaviour. Not that that means lawyers don't do anything stupid, but like mm. there, there is those underlying things. Whereas like, what, what is it with the recruitment? Why do you think it has that reputation? Uh, oh, do you know what? I think there's a few things. I, th- I think probably um, one of the reasons why the legal recruitment stories that I was sent weren't, weren't horrendous is because I think it's a bit self-selecting to even to recruit in the legal industry, you need to have it's, I mean, it's such a difficult industry to get your head around because you know you're, you're recruiting lawyers, but you know one lawyer here is doing a completely separate and different job to this recruiter, uh, this uh, lawyer over here. So you, you kind of do need to have half a, you know, at least three brain cells to be able to navigate it. But I think recruitment in general, there's no barriers to entry. You don't mm-hmm. have to be highly qualified to get a job in recruitment. Most legal recruiters and or sort of any technical industry recruiters do have. Uh, usually they've got a degree or some kind of connection to the industry that gives them their in, you know, you don't just hire anybody in, 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 a, in a legal recruitment job, I hope. Um, but it's just one of those industries where anybody can do it. You know I mean? You can set up, I could set up tomorrow and start recruiting hedge fund managers. I mean, I've, I've the vaguest idea of what a hedge fund might be, but I could start recruiting it and call myself, uh, you know, an expert headhunter i mean i already call myself london 17th best legal recruiter for god's sake so um <laughs> yeah my, 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 my girlfriend's a headhunt is a hedge fund headhunter so i think she might have something to say if you if you do go into that i'm sure she would um <laughs> <laughs> but i mean look it's just it, i think it's just it is one of those industries that um people kind of drift into it'd be a bit, a bit worried if you're you know if your kid goes to you at you know 10 years old and says oh um that I really want to be a recruiter, you'd be like, really? <laughs> well, it was, it was it was funny actually when I uh, when I left uh, the law or the f- the first time I left the law, I'm obviously gone back into it now. Um, but um, I say the first time as if I'm intending to leave it again. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> when I left the law, I, I got asked the question whether my parents sat shiver, which is the kind of the Jewish. Uh, week of mourning uh, and I thought that was quite <laughs> I thought that was quite funny because like you know you, you uh, sorry no the, the, the shiver was not about actually leaving the law it was more going into recruitment um, <laughs> uh, um, but no yeah they were actually all right about so it. did they um, did they did they say um, Jake Filson uh, officer Shalom <laughs> yeah exactly they're, they're all they're, my parents my brothers were all there uh, you know praying davening shaking um yeah, exactly. Good knowledge. Your your uh, your Hebrew and Yiddish knowledge is very good, but I, I take that as a consequence of kind of working in a in a recruitment firm with a, a high number of uh, Jews in it. Do you know? Do you know what? I I had no knowledge of anything uh, anything Jewish at all, uh, really. Um, having grown up in Surrey, where there isn't a very big Jewish community, 
But the, the first, mm. the first, my first experience of um, um, Judaism was Rogaloch. Is that is that? Am I saying it right? Rogaloch. The the cake. Yeah. The chocolate. Rug- Rugula. Rugula. Yeah. I think. Well, the, the problem is probably my Manchester sort of <laughs> that you've got you've got your region your regional Jewishness I suppose coming in here. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's different ways of saying things. I think the the point is is you know two uh, you know what uh, two Jews for four opinions. So there's going to be you know no disputes Jake, over the, how things no, are said. No, the the point is rugula rogaloch. However you say this thing, yeah. it's like it's like crack. Yeah. I've never yeah, tasted good, anything so good in my life. So as soon as I was exposed to that, I thought I've got I've got to learn a little bit more here. Um, and there's, yeah. some, there's some great words. I think Yiddish is uh, maybe I'll start it on Duolingo because it it it's just so uh, it, it's so descriptive of, uh, of it's so on a matapiak. Yes, yeah. and also yeah. the the um, the sort of like not the swear words, but you know when you say somebody's a schmendrick. <laughs> those yeah, those kinds know. of a schnorrer. Somebody's a schnorrer. It's a schmuck. It's, oh yeah, it's just so like mm, it really hits yeah, differently. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's also yeah. It is. You're right. It's the sort of word that even if you don't know what it is, you kind of know what it is. You know. Yeah. If someone you, says you you're you're a schmendrick, <laughs> you know that they're not. You know that they're not yeah. trying to be your mate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's, it's impressive. You're. Uh, your Yiddish knowledge. Well, yeah, I have to give a big shout out to to Mark Needoff uh, for educating me in all things uh, in all things um, uh, Yiddish. Um, he was been well. Yeah, I mean, I, I I should probably shout out to Mark Needoff as well because that's kind of how I uh, ended up getting into uh, recruitment. I was kind of uh, yeah on my last my my last uh, legs with the law. Didn't want to do it anymore, and Mark said to me, "I think you'd make a good recruiter." Turns out I didn't make a good recruit because <laughs> I didn't stay in it long enough. But for the time I was in it, I had potential. <laughs> oh, you definitely, you, def- you definitely have p- potential. Um, it was, uh, it, it's the, it's recruitment's loss, but laws um, gain again. So what, um, what, what are you doing now? You're, you're doing, you're, you're working for uh, one of these cool new law outfits. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, well, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, it kind of came from when I was uh, in our old company, I was doing quite a lot of uh, pro bono work. Here's me uh, virtue signaling here. Look at me, I'm a good person. Um, but no, I was, I was doing quite a lot of uh, pro, pro bono employment law uh, work. And um, I, I was, I was realising that a lot of the people that I was kind of representing or advising, because I wasn't representing because I was non-practicing at the time, was, were, were, you know, uh, intelligent people who had genuine legitimate claims and concerns but they didn't have their uh, the, the the tools and the means necessary in order to necessarily articulate what their claims were against their in, uh, employer or ex-employer um as as a lawyer was and and the kind of the the kind of um concerning elements of it is they were up against you know lawyers highly qualified and highly trained in their very specific area of law um and i started to realize that you know that there's nothing innately special about lawyers and having a legal argument and being able to articulate it in a certain way other than fine yes you have to have gone to a you know a, a relatively decent uh, union work hard and you have all the drivers and have all the things that people talk about um uh, in the law but but it but it really is because lawyers have the resources and um, uh, facilities in order to find the right answer so that there's law libraries which every law firm will uh, subscribe to in which uh, you know I, I, if I was uh, working within a law firm I would find whatever it was the article or the piece of legislation or the precedent or the you know the draft uh, you know claim um, for whatever it was and I started to think these people that I'm, I'm speaking to pro bono just haven't even got first base and it just seemed incredibly unfair um, that actually not only obviously the lawyers had the training in the background but they also had all the resources so I started to think well um, why isn't there technology uh, for these individuals to be able to represent themselves in the same way as there's technology for the law firms? 
and, the, and the lawyer. And, and, and the point I got to is that I realized that why would there be technology and why would there be this information for individuals to be able to um, litigate um, on their own? Because the, 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 the resources in the tech is obviously focused at the corporate world and at the, at the lawyers because that's where the money is and that's where they can afford it. You know, an unemployed um, pregnant woman isn't going to be able to pay a lot of money for a law library subscription. Um, so I started to think about uh, different, different ways in which I could, in essence, take the technology and the information that uh, lawyers have at their disposal and provide it to individuals that were litigating on their own. And, and it's not unusual in employment law sphere for, for people to litigate uh, on their own. Um, and, and, and in fact, the, the, the irony of it is, is the employment tribunal is set up for people to litigate on their own. It's set up not necessarily for, for lawyers because it's got flexibility in terms of its pr procedure. Actually, employment law is, and maybe I'm biased here, but is incredibly uh, complicated and it evolves very quickly. So some areas of law, like property law, doesn't, you know, it hasn't changed for, you know, 50, 100 years in terms of, you know, big pieces of legislation. Um, whereas employment law is just constantly evolving and, and it just seemed incredibly, as I say, unfair that individuals didn't have uh, those tools at their disposal. Um, and I'm getting to your question about the law firm that I'm now working at and how I've got there. I'm not trying to sidetrack that and going on a monologue about the indignant uh, kind of representation of <laughs> uh, unemployed uh, workers. But uh, I, I, I managed to find, so I started to think of how, we, how I could potentially develop tech that could help these individuals without the need of a lawyer. And, and I suppose one of the big things that I did learn um, from recruitment and I gained a lot from is that ability to firstly research and find things out um, but also just pick up the phone and speak to someone and I found on on LinkedIn a, 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 an amazing uh, lawyer called Tara, Tara Grossman um, she's ex uh, Herbert Smith uh, she was there for 12 years and, and she left um, and, and worked um, kind of uh, uh, for where I'm currently working Kepler Wolf and also ended up setting up her own uh company which is she, she she's quite an amazing uh person really she she set up a company uh a startup for pas but she's also managed to develop this piece of legal tech which helps um individuals kind of find out what their potential claim is that they might have against uh their employer and uh, helps them facilitate settlements um free and it's a tool on online it's called the litigation friend so i reached out to her and said look you know it's really strange because i was thinking of doing something similar and you know fortunately you know we got on well and she she's brought me on board um and then I, and then I, and then it made me realize well why would i be doing this legal tech thing without actually being having the legitimacy of still being uh, an employment lawyer because in essence I was you know it's one thing obviously working within a startup legal tech um, but it's another thing uh, kind of having that authority of still being a lawyer so the Tara works for uh, or works on another platform as I say called Kepler Wolf which is really cool it's it, as I say it's one of these platforms in which they take on lawyers um, on, a, on a sort of self-employed basis and you earn what you bill and obviously there's a percentage taken by them. And the, the difference, I think, between Kepler Wolf and a lot of the other uh, platforms that are like that is Kepler Wolf has a very specific um, uh, kind of sector. It focuses on the startup and the tech and the media. So jo John Haggis, who, who's the founding partner, has like some really amazing, cool clients. So yeah, kind of that, that, that's where, where I'm at. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. It's giving me the, the freedom to, um, to kind of do what I want to do, uh, whether it be, as I say, we talked about the, my kombucha making or, or uh, you know, just having a bit of free time to, to, in my personal life. Whereas I think when you're in private practice, you're kind of on that corporate hamster wheel and you, it's hard to really kind of take a, take a minute and have a breath and think about things. Mm. No, I mean, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on the point about um, uh, employment law and, and how difficult it is to to get your head around if you're, you know, if you if you're not legally trained. My my one and only um, real experience of, of of working in a law firm was when um, 
I, I think rather ingeniously blagged my way into some work experience um, at a law firm where I, I attended a seminar that they were holding on, I think it was employment law form um, for the media sector. So I rocked up okay. as a law, a law student, suited and booted, to a room full of um, media execs who were all in super cool clothing. You know, I looked like I looked like I stuck out like a sore thumb um, because, of course, I've, n- none of these people were lawyers. They were all um, they were they're all media people. But there was an employment lawyer giving a talk <laughs> on. I, I can't remember what it was. A new piece of legislation that was going to potentially impact these clients. And I hung around for the drinks reception afterwards. Um, a partner thought that I, I worked at the firm. When she found out I was a, a law student just coming along to have a listen, she was like, oh, brilliant. You should come in for some work experience. I thought, there we are. That's it. Mayo's going to be a lawyer. That's it. Forget it. I went in and I did one week's work experience doing some research for, um, for, for an employment lawyer. Um, and I actually helped to, um, to redraft a section of, actually, no, I probably can't say who it was, but it was, uh, it was the... Um, it was an actor who played a, fa- uh, a, car- a famous children's TV cartoon character. So I helped redraft his holiday okay. clause. But I can remember, even as a, even as a law student, I was, I was fairly all right at law as a student. I was sweating, trying to work out which provision of this, whatever piece of legislation it was, applied to this yeah. person. I could not make head nor tail of it. And I, in the end, I ended up literally sticking a finger in the air and just going 50-50. I just think it's that. <laughs> I think the reason my, my I think the reason my work experience wasn't extended beyond the like four days that I was given was probably because I did get the wrong answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just remember thinking like, Jesus, like without an employment lawyer, how do you how do you know what's what here? It's bloody difficult. Well, that's it, and I think you know. I, look, I mean, thinking about my time when I was at Evershedson, I was you know defending or responding to employment tribunal claims to the big corporates and. I was up against, um, you know, individuals representing themselves and there was just such an imbalance in um, kind of, well, in knowledge and bargaining power and everything else. I mean, luckily they were (laughs) up against me, so they weren't weren't in such a bad position as they could have been. Um, But no, but, you know, I I remember arguing uh, in the tribunal against this, this lady who who, as I say, was uh, unemployed. She had severe uh, dyslexia. Uh, She was pregnant. And we were arguing over a real technical piece of um, kind of uh, time limitation uh, point. And, you know, it's steeped in, you know, case law. And I I don't even know how you'd begin to find it without kind of uh, uh, the resources that law firms have. Um, and I just remember sitting there thinking, this is just not right. And, and this is kind of, um, yeah, I kind of antithetical to my idea of justice. Um, I mean, <laughs> fortunately, she ended up winning. Um, but I don't know whether that was because of me or just because she, the, 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 well, she did. She had, a, she had a better point than mine. But, but the point is, is actually, um, you know, had she had not, had a strong case just de facto then you know if it was a borderline case it wouldn't you know she would have had no chance um so yeah i mean look the, the technology's there and at the moment it's in its fairly primitive uh primitive stages uh, it's, it's called the litigationfriend.com if you, you wanted to go and have a look if you think you have a potential um dispute what it will do is it'll take you through kind of a thought tree and you know you you put in your information and it'll potentially give you the claims that you might have and the the amount of compensation that you um, could be awarded should you bring a claim in the tribunal I think the idea is hopefully to develop it to the next stage where it's actually a resource that people can use on a continuing basis Um, but yeah that's where it is today. Okay fine so for for anybody out there who's had a, a workplace grievance that might be a good place to start to work out whether or not they're uh, they do something or they have a, they yeah, have a, leg, sure. a legal leg to stand on that's good mate i'm for glad sure. to hear uh, i'm glad i'm glad to hear that you're fighting the good fight now you've done you've been in the evil corporate world you've seen it um and now now you're out and you're fighting for the other team yeah well i, I think look i mean uh, again that's uh that's one of the I suppose the false dichotomies that set set up that maybe uh, was influential in my decisions when I first went into the law, because look, I I, I originally wanted to be a uh, human rights lawyer, um, you know, and realized 
well, sorry, I want to be a human rights barrister, realised quite soon, uh, quickly that I wasn't clever enough. Um, but no, I, I, I got my training contract, but I knew for sure that I didn't want to apply to any of the big corporate uh, firms um, because I wanted to do claimant law. I wanted to be fight the power. And the problem is what, what I found is that actually whilst you know you are arguably on the on the good side in quotes actually you end up dealing with people that have already had a lot of damage done to them whether that's financially or mentally or, or whatever it is and actually as a lawyer all you can really do is get them financial compensation which in the grand scheme of things isn't really much by way of remedy as to how they actually feel um and i suppose one of the things when you look at say the the, the big corporate law firms and you say oh they're, they're the mean bastards and um am i allowed to swear yeah you can swear thank you bastards, <laughs> bastards. Also, when you, i think when you're from up north bastard doesn't really count do you know what i mean it's very game of thrones <laughs> um yeah the old, yeah fine i don't know if it does much for my uh my lawyer credibility but yeah i'll use it anyway um but um yeah i mean look i think the the, the thing that uh, i i soon discovered was actually being in a law firm environment whether you are you know representing the the, the people and fighting the good fight or working for the corporates it, it's kind of um you, you're so confined and constricted by um by the reality of it so you know you might you might have someone that has uh, a superb case as a claimant but you can't actually represent them because i don't know that they're out of time or they don't have the necessary resources you know they've not got prospects high enough for you to take it on on a no win no fee or for the insurance to cover them but they might have something there and you end up not taking it on and then that person's not actually in any better position i suppose on the flip side you can say well actually a big corporate law firm which is seen as the the monsters you can maybe shape their the, the policy of the 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 uh, companies before everything goes wrong. So you know you're someone who comes to see you as a claimant lawyer and they're um, you know pregnant and they've been dismissed because they're pregnant is awful and actually you're not really going to be able to remedy that any way other than financially. But actually, if you've got a corporate client and they say to you, "Oh, we want to sack this person," and then they say, "Oh, and they're pregnant." You go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. You know, like, and, and in a weird way, what my point is, is actually, it's easy to pigeonhole the corporate law firms as monsters and the claimant law firms as, uh, you know, um, good people. But actually, I think there is a way that in a corporate law firm, you can shape, you can shape, uh, you know, policy better than you can do as a claimant law firm. You, you're dealing with picking up the pieces in a way. Um, I think that I think the fundamental problem is, is it's actually very hard to, in my opinion, to have any sort of um, kind of purpose. Uh, and I, I don't mean that um, I don't mean that in the in the existential way. I mean it just from the uh, you you are so inundated with work and just getting tasks done, whether that's you know, dealing with a court deadline or dealing with a partner that's giving you work or dealing with, you know, the senior associate or you're a client ringing you up. Like you're, you're so uh, overly worked in terms of the amount of stuff you've got to do. You just can't even necessarily think about, you know, is this the moral or ethical thing that I should be doing? Um, so, yeah, I think one of the benefits of moving away from the traditional law firm and being where I am today gives me the, the capability to be a bit more uh, thoughtful with my choices as to whether, you know, the type of claims that I take on or the type of client that I advise on, or just even, as I say, developing a piece of legal tech that's actually hopefully going to do um, some good. So one, one thing that I don't quite um, get about some of the, 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 the sort of the, the new law businesses that are out there is, I guess, is it seems to me that it's only really one of those things that you can you can do once you've been doing your once you've been you know practicing in a certain area for some time. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you if you're yeah. if you're if you're you know wet behind the ears, you know newly qualified lawyer, it's going to be a bit difficult for somebody like that to go into um, you know one of these places because presumably you're kind of responsible for winning your own work to an extent or being being sort of capable of actually doing things to a certain level, right? For, for sure yeah and I, th I think I think you're right and I think actually I'm quite fortunate and I'm particularly 
young to be in the position that I'm in. Um, I think, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, employment law is particularly um, in demand right now. And so there, there is from the, 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 the firm that I'm working with, there is that demand uh, from, from the client perspective that's not necessarily brought in by me. Um, but also, look, I mean, uh, I think one of the benefits of, uh, and it's something that's quite interesting having worked in uh, the, the legal recruitment firm that we worked in, that the kind of high top end law firms that we were dealing with and the concept that, you know, these are the best lawyers um, out there. And, and look, the training and the qualifications and everything is, uh, is phenomenal of these lawyers. But actually, one thing that they don't have younger down is the client exposure or or the even the the necessity to go out and and win business um now what, what because because like why do they why would they need to as long as the partners are bringing in the work that they can they can do that work and i think i was just quite fortunate that i worked in some smaller law firms up in manchester before i came down to london um and actually i was able as a as a as a lawyer there to to develop you know, contacts and to, um, you know, to um, kind of be able to have some form of um, business. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's hard as a junior lawyer to go into these platforms uh, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, build, build yourself a business because it is eat what you kill. For you, for you, I guess it may be a bit different because I think you, you'd worked in, I mean, obviously you worked for a massive, uh, massive international firm in, in Eversheds, but I think you've worked in some smaller outfits where presumably in some of those matters you would have done maybe you've been a bit more hands-on than you might have been at the same PQE level in a mega firm. For sure. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, even, even working, um, even with working with Tara now, who's phenomenal employment lawyer. And she, as I say, she was at Herbert Smith for 12 years. Um, but actually she was quite uh, amazed by, um, the amount of employment tribunal work that I had actually done. And, you know, it's nothing, it's not me kind of uh, floating my own boat there. That's just the reality of when you are at smaller firms, you know, like Herbert Smith just wouldn't take on an unfair dismissal claim or, you know, maybe they would get there, you know, who, whatever. Like it, it, it's just not worthwhile for them to do that sort of case. Mm. So the fees involved. And what that actually means is the junior lawyers end up working on, you know, big, Supreme Court cases and you know great amazing big cases from a um, you know from a sort of media point of view externally looking in but actually what they're doing is like really discrete pieces of research and stuff which is great and you know on whatever whatever it is I'm sure their knowledge far exceeds my could ever do um, in that area of employment law but what I kind of do have I suppose working at some of the smaller firms is that real deep down and dirty nitty gritty you know on the ground sort You've of been in the trenches uh, yeah legal. yeah exactly the legal work and uh i love, i think there's something to be said for that and i think actually there is something um you know uh, I, I don't know one of the things i found disheartening about and i'm not this is not an allegation or an accusation against the recruitment firm i worked on just in general um, the way that people view lawyers um, I, I, it, it's sometimes quite depressing that they'll say, "Oh, well, they trained at a magic circle firm. They're, they're an amazing lawyer." And it's like, "What? Like, what? What does that mean? Like, genuinely, what? What do you mean? Like, you, you don't know what they've done." I've met people at high street law firms in Manchester that have done some like incredible stuff. Had they gone to, uh, you know, you know, had they gone to Oxford or Cambridge and trained at Clifford Chance? No, they didn't. Uh, you know, but the the fact is, is in my opinion. Having seen them, they're incredible lawyers. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I think as a recruiter, you just end up often sort of perpetuating the stereotypes that of the industry that you enter into. And I feel that the narrative around uh, around lawyers is so much obsession with brand names. You know, where somebody's been, uh, where they went to university, and I, I, I obviously I understand because you know just having a blanket policy of, you know, we're only going to recruit people from these universities does, it does enable you to at least guarantee a certain level of education and, um, you know, also in, in some ways intelligence as well um, in the in the candidates that you're getting put before you. But, you know, it's difficult for recruiters to know, you know, especially if they're not uh, an expert in that specific area of law. But I've definitely met people who are from 
who are from firms that wouldn't get a look in at a lot of the clients that I used to recruit for who I would think, wow, you know, this person is incredible. You know, they uh, super articulate, driven, hardworking. And I, I think, I, I think it, it, it kind of links into um, a part of the reason why I think there is a real lack of social mobility in the legal industry uh, is that obsession with, um, with brand names on CVs because ultimately, you know, I remember in the past where I was dealing with a, a candidate and, you know, if you look on the CV, A-levels were, you know, all right. I think it was, you know, maybe like an ABB or something like that. And then they'd gone to a, you know, a university which wasn't in, in the Russell group. So for a lot of firms, that would be an instant no, you know, they're, they're not smart enough. But then Google the school. The school was the, the, the high school that they attended. I, I looked it up. I remember with a specific candidate, because I was really trying to push this person because I'd met them and I was, you know, quite behind them, wanted to help them, you know, level up in their career. Um, and I googled the school. And the the school had Ofsted results of, um, I think it goes from like one, which is the best, to five, which is basically they're going to shut down the school. And this school was at a four, so a four is basically about as bad as a school can be before they're about to put it into special measures, basically shut it down and put it into administration. And I'm thinking, well, no wonder this person's got, you know, not got straight A stars at A level, because can you imagine what the classrooms would have been like? You know, if they're getting four out of five in, in Ofsted um, and this person's managed to get themselves ABB, to me, that's like, that's it's almost more impressive than somebody going to, a, you know, whatever, you know, Cheltenham Ladies College and getting straight A stars where, you know, if you, if you don't get straight A stars, you're basically a dunderhead. And there were, you know, 10 people in, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are 10 people in the classroom, you've got the finest teaching, you know, school playing fields that look like some sort of like palatial stately home. And I'm thinking, well, this person's clearly a grafter. And they're not, you know, they, yeah, yeah. If, if they're going to a school like this, you know, imagine what their classmates will, 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 will be like. So I, I would like to see, you know, in time to come, law firms being a little bit more open-minded in there. Um, you know, do, do, I mean, do you think, do you think that's, have you, have you seen any shift in that or is that, uh, you know, since you've been in recruitment, has there been any form of sort of, mm. I don't know. But, uh, no, not, not wholesale. No, not, and not enough. I, I do. I feel, I feel that actually maybe at this point in time, just because of the, you know, the current political and social climate that actually, um, the unfairness within society is, is about as um, prevalent a topic as it's ever been in my lifetime that I can think of. So I, th I think that there's, there's certainly an attitude towards changing things. And I have seen, uh, we are seeing it a bit, but you know, it's, I mean, I've been out of the game for, for, a, for a little bit doing this, doing this podcast and um, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been out there recruiting because, you know, but of course there's not much of it going on, but it wasn't that long ago that I've you know, had a couple of clients come to me and say, look, we won't look at anybody that hasn't got a first from Oxford or Cambridge. Um, mm. And, you know, those firms are in the minority, but it, it, still, it still happens. And it kind of, it, it just, it did, that was one thing that did depress me a little bit about the industry. Yeah. I just sort of thought it's just not a, it's not something that I can and get I, behind. And I'd just be interested to know, and as I say, and I, I have kind of from anecdotal evidence seen it, but like how much does that first from Oxbridge make a difference? Like there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that those people are incredibly smart and, you know, you give them a task and they will probably do it much better than I would ever be able to do it. But like, does that necessarily make them a good lawyer? Like that, that's what I find strange about the sort of, recruitment criteria and i'm not saying that's a fault of the recruitment firms i'm saying that's a sort of uh fault of uh, i suppose the you know the, the the recruitment policy of whatever it is but i suppose maybe then you also do need some kind of parameters like what are you basing it on yeah look everyone everybody needs to have their set of criteria so i mean it's like doing a it's like doing an internet search if you do if your search is too general it's going to throw up too many results which are going to be you know not applicable so you've got to set your standards somewhere i think it's more about just being flexible in cases where you know and you know uh, coming in from a, a recruiter's perspective if you've got a recruiter who's saying look i'm telling you this person is good. You know, I've met tons of lawyers. I know what they're like. I meet people every day. Um, and, and this person seems to me like they're, they're worth a second look. Then I would like to see, I would like to see law firms bend a little bit more. Um, those, those sort of set in stone parameters that some of them have in order to, to give people a shot. Um, I mean, the other, the other thing, and also to, to answer your question on, you know, 
does having a you know does having a first in 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 law from you know one of the best universities in the country make you a good lawyer i do think there's like a point of diminishing returns in a way when it comes to people's backgrounds you know you get a candidate who's got you know straight a's a a level and a and a 2-1 from um you know and a 2-1 from a good university and then you hold them up against somebody that's got the straight a stars and the first class from a top uni well I come across a lot of lawyers who are, you know, almost overqualified for the job. I'm not saying that you don't need to have a, you've got to have a brain to be a lawyer. It's not a, it's not a job for, you know, for anyone and everyone. But do you need to be that intelligent to be able to do yeah. it? Probably yeah. not. And the other thing is, yeah. I'll be honest with you, law firms are not, and you know this, you've worked in one, uh, and I only know this secondhand, but it's not the best existence, especially if you're really bright. Imagine if you were just doing, you know, if you're working in a, in a team that's doing high court litigation, up until your fair few PQE, you're doing, you're not doing the, the meaty part yeah. of that matter. You've got to wait a long time before you're going to be allowed to, to do anything. And I think you get people who yeah. get to about two or three PQE. They went to Oxford and Cambridge. They've got their first class degree. They've got, you know, a mate here who's running a successful startup they've got someone here working at a private equity fund they they, they really fully understand all of the opportunities open to them and a lot of the and a lot of really smart people just have so many options that they can they can take their you know one or two pqe at a magic circle law firm you know piss off and have an amazing career elsewhere whereas i part of me thinks that you know sometimes if you gave somebody a chance who's really clearly had to fight just to get a bloody training contract um and and you hire them as long as they're you know as long as they're you know actually able to to do the job which i think there are many people who, who don't get a look in who actually are very capable um I, th- I think a lot of those people if you if you can imagine you know if you've come from if you've come from not much and you've you've worked your way up the ladder you're going to think right i've made it do you know what i mean i'm yeah. gonna stick i'm yeah. gonna stick here i'm gonna become a partner i'm gonna i don't i don't mind doing the graft because i've done it from you know, I've done it from from day one. Whereas if if you've got so many different options and, and avenues open to you outside of that, I th- you know, there's a part of me that thinks yeah, from no, a selfish I... perspective they could make they could they could have a lower turnover and spend less money paying people like me to to backfill the roles of their miserable you know, junior <laughs> well, no, I, junior I, I, associate I, I, ranks. No, no, and I think I think you're right, and I think there's something to be said for the fact that actually, um, you know, becoming uh, because lawyers do genuinely come from similar socio-economic backgrounds, there's been this perpetual uh, kind of myth that you will, you know, uh, qualify as a lawyer and you have to do a little bit of hard work, and then you become a partner and you made it. Like you know, you're, you're absolutely. Fine. Um, and I think there was something to be said for that back in the day in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even um, that people were, uh, you know, fairly young and making partner uh, at that age. But now what's happened is, though, because the aging population, those people that got made partners in the, uh, you know, 80s and 90s are still there. And then you've got this long extended ladder of people waiting to become partners. And actually, I think, the people that have come from, uh, you know, a similar socioeconomic background where we're told to become a lawyer because, you know, you'll climb to the top, you know, very easily and you'll have a very comfortable existence. are so looking, thinking, bloody hell, I've got 20, 30 more years of even, you know, grafting like a, you know, like an absolute idiot before I even reap any sort of reward of, of a partner level, if, if that is, I suppose, a reward. I think one of the things I looked at when I was... Uh, in private practices, I, I did. I looked at the partners and I looked at the senior associates above me and I just thought, that, that's actually no better. If anything, you, the workload gets more because you get this managerial responsibility and it becomes almost uh, even more unmanageable. So, yeah, um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. There is something to be said about an expectation, I suppose, coming from, you know, that sort of socioeconomic background as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I think so many people go into law because they think it's, um, you know, this is a good job. You know, they, they just want to have a good job and they think, right, legal career. It used to be doctor, but obviously now, you know, we've shat on the NHS so much. Even being a doctor is basically a shitty job these days because you get no love for it, even though it's, you know, arguably one of the most important jobs you could ever possibly have um, in, in, in society. People go into law thinking, you know, this is the this is a good career move, and actually, the the reality of it isn't always what it's you know what it's cracked up to be. It's not suits. 
um you know it's not um it's not you know fancy dinners and winning cases in every different practice area going every every week there's a lot of there's a lot of just constant graft which which goes into it so well i think i think that's it yeah so yeah no i think the the point you make about seats is i found quite interesting in my <laughs> in my last week at every sheds before before i left we had a jake i think your uh, i think your your mic is um scraping Hello? against your fantastic beard um sorry mate yeah it's I, okay uh, i just I want people i want people to be able to hear to hear your pearls of wisdom here yeah i mean <laughs> i don't i mean the fact if someone's got to this stage of listening to me i i think you know <laughs> i'll check the stats i'll check the stats and see where people yeah me, to me end versus it and... chris yeah no it will be quite interesting i imagine probably after the first couple of sentences once they heard the northern voice they'll probably switch it off no um, come on um but no uh i can't remember where i was at um it, it was it, oh yeah of course we can edit everything out um you were about to tell me you were about to tell me a very interesting anecdote about um oh yeah no yeah 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 no it was funny on my uh, on my last week they, there was a work experience person in um and for some reason they thought it was a good idea that had, uh, to place them with the person that's chosen to quit the law after you know five years of hard graft um <laughs> I, I was looking at this person when they were asking me questions about, you know, you know, the, the positives of being in the law. And I just thought, I can't, I can't lie to you. And they, it was really interesting because I think they are from the generation of, of suits where genuine, because I thought it was kind of like a jokey type thing, but genuinely this person had watched suits and had, um, you know, I, I had thought it was something similar or akin to, and I sat down with them and I said, look, I gave them a bundle. I was running, a, I was closing up my, and tribunal claims that I was when I was passing them over to another firm and I had to I had to review a lot of documents to draft the final witness statement on one of them and I just gave them the you know there was like five bundles of documents I gave them all to them and I said if you want to know what it's like have a read of these and you need to read them all by lunchtime and then start drafting the you know the witness statement um, by after lunchtime and like the look of terror of this person's face and you know like part of me felt a bit guilty and i wasn't doing it to be that dickhead sort of uh, you know lawyer being horrible to the work experience person i was actually doing it as in a general sort of way that there's this myth that is just perpetuated i think by lawyers when people come to their work experience that they give them really fun funky tasks to do and it's like these people are not necessarily aware of a choice that's going to be their life choice potentially mm. um and i think i think there is a there is a responsibility on law firms to actually show and portray genuinely what the day-to-day mundaneness and stress levels are like because you know it, it, it's unfair and, and i don't know whether it's like that and this is maybe the cynic in me and I, maybe people won't be comfortable with me saying that this but actually whether people do um portray a, a rose tinted image of what a lawyer is when people come and do work experience because it justifies what they're doing on a day-to-day basis yeah. it's not great someone coming to see you and you going yeah this is shit you know? <laughs> <laughs> no um, I, just, I think it's it's, it's 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 almost like um it's almost like dating and when you go on a first date with somebody a lot of people you know they're not they don't they're not their authentic selves you know they're not living their truth yeah. they're like oh I, I, I barely drink yet they go out every week and get absolutely bladdered on a friday night and you know can't remember can't remember how they got home or you know I mean, yeah. you get you get to date three and they spark up a cigarette and you're like what huh i thought i thought i thought you were into yoga and um <laughs> and, and mindfulness and uh, and you lived a healthy lifestyle and now you're smoking what 10 marlboro reds is that jesus yeah um so i think it, it, it it's, it's one of those things you know you, you want to attract people, but actually, if you think about these things long term, and that, that's kind of part of the reason why I started um, posting slightly tongue in cheek, but realistic, I think, job posts on, on LinkedIn, because recruiters do this all the time. I mean, the amount of times you've heard this phone call in the office, I'm sure, and, and from, from recruiters when you're there, you know, I've got this job at a US law firm, but 
you know, don't don't worry. Like, yeah, the chargeable targets are two thousand, but you know, they're spread yeah. very evenly over the year, so you won't even know you're <laughs> doing them. Like, the target hours will. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Time will just go by in this time vortex. You, you're having so much fun, you don't even realise that you're billing. And like, they're lovely. There's never been a tribunal claim against any of the partners in this team. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> you, know, you, 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 you tell people everything that they that they want to hear, and then they, they get there on day one. They're like. Ah, uh, oh, okay, yeah. There's a there's a reason why they're paying me 160k here to 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 be here. Yeah, okay, I, I understand. But no, you're right. Like a bit of realism. But could you imagine a, a series of suits where it was actually realistic? <laughs> no one <laughs> fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I I genuinely yeah. think that um the a reality series uh, or a series about recruitment could actually be very realistic and much more much more interesting because it's actually really good fun like obviously you know doing cold calling and getting told to get lost all day long is bloody hard and that's like the you know, that's a, a lot of the job but it's it's, it's 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 an absolute um it's an absolutely great industry it should it, it needs its own series i don't know what you would call it but um it, it i think it should happen it should be made oh for sure i mean no it, it it's a it's a it's a wonderful industry in terms of, you know, <laughs> if, if I look at it, like the, the, how Mark sold it to me was, you know, you, if you, you're pretty much going out, drinking coffee, speaking to people, and I'm bloody good at drinking coffee. And I think I'm all right at speaking to people. And like, genuinely, obviously, you know, that's trivializing the job a little bit. But I mean, it, it, it's a fun job. And the, the, the fact that you're just interacting with so many fascinating people, the amount of stories that would come out of it i think you're right a series would be great no it's 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 a it is as much as i also love to poke fun at recruiters and you know, i do like to take the piss out of my own job i i do i do rate it i'm very very glad that i accidentally fell into it because i had i didn't have any better ideas it's um you know but I think I think just on on your 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 mickey taking and you know i think the the, the beauty of it is is actually it goes down it goes back to like you're dealing with intelligent people like you don't need to uh you know just put up a post saying you know well you know a wonderful wonderful job opportunity at elite u.s law firm where you're going to be earning top of the market and it's like well all right mate like fine that that's great but you know like it, it's it, 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 people see the reality of the job they know what it is and i think that the great thing that you're doing is you're slicing through that that nonsense and being like look this is the reality if you want to earn a lot of money you can do and you know you're not gonna have a particularly great time but you'll earn a lot of money so what what um, no, what, what, what what you need as a recruiter is just an army of people who just want to build i don't you don't you don't want the person that wants to do you know yoga and mindfulness on their on their their lunch break and have time to see friends and family you want the you you want the really really hardcore career drip but look, I, I i think that that's just not it's not tenable um i think there'll be a lot of change in 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 the legal industry it's it's got to, it's got to move move forward otherwise they are just going to struggle to attract the kind of people that they seemingly want to be um you know attracting through their recruitment policies because it's it's a tough old it's a tough old slog good thing is there's obviously with the the dawn of you know new entrants into the market the kind of place that you're working for you seem you, you, you seem you seem one of the happiest i've seen you in in, in a long time so it's great that there are new ways of working and, and 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 new platforms out there where people can go and do something slightly different i think you know that's going to be the the market in maybe five ten years time will be quite different to, to what it looks like now because everyone's kind of adopting the same uh, the same models um, in remuneration and the way they're structuring their businesses. Not everybody's happy with that. So I w you'd hope just through sort of sheer market forces and, and what, you know, the, the changing perceptions of what people necessarily want out of their lives will actually force either force firms to change or, you know, like the place that you're working for now at Kepler Wolf, um, other people who have got the, the wherewithal and the foresight to think right actually there's a room there's room in the market for something like this will set up and they will start to attract um start to attract more talent let's hope for anyway. sure because and, and i and no i know i think you're right and i think the the great thing about it is actually addresses the 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 problem that we were discussing before in the sense of and this is not me including myself in this but you have such great minds in the law and it does seem a shame 
that they get to two, three, four, five PQE and they think, you know what, why, why am I bothering with this stress and this hassle? Actually, I can go and do something else. I can go and work in you know, finance or set up my own business or do mindfulness or whatever it is. Um, but actually the benefits of working in one of these platforms is you get to retain it but potentially the talent of the legal minds and you know these people that have trained so hard to get to where they are and all that knowledge but also it gives you the opportunity to um, do other things and therefore using the that talent pool to help other industries so for example you know I, I have set up uh, this kombucha business and that's something that you know ultimately I would if it takes off and I hope it does something that I would like to go into if you know that wasn't a possibility or an option for me whilst I was at Evershed's like as much as you know I genuinely haven't got a bad word to say about Evershed's but you're working so hard that you know the the, the option of doing something on the side other than at your weekends just not there um, so I do think yeah I think uh, I think one of the things that this um that this model can provide is the, the flexibility to actually venture into other uh, areas and you know utilize the you know that that, that talent pool mm, no well um i hope hopefully i'll be able to to find your kombucha in uh, in a waitrose near me at some point soon yeah i mean look here just yeah well hopefully i mean look we're, we're, we're what's in it called let's get, let's 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 give the brand a shout out do you have a name for it yet yeah, it's, it's called Booch Tail. So actually, um, you know, it, it, it's not doing it full justice by calling it kombucha. It's actually the first commercial hard kombucha business in the country, or at least that's what I'm saying it is. I think it Wallet. is. That. I've not seen another one. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that. It's, uh, it's, What's it, hard yeah, kombucha? Hard... Is that alcoholic? Yeah, exactly. There we go. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, look, I think there's a, there's a kind what, of... What percentage are we talking? The... What sort of alcohol uh, content? For, yeah, like like a beer, four or five percent. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the the, the I think the the um, USP in the area I'm trying to go for is, uh, uh, you know, it's been amazing listening to your Wellness Wednesday Wednesdays uh, sort of uh, people that you were speaking to and them talking about the the um, kind of the, the health market and the health industry which has taken off and rightly so. Um, and I think kombucha and kefir and, you know, uh, all these uh, um, kimchi, all these probiotic uh, things ha is kind of uh, on trend at the moment. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the benefits that these can give you um, is phenomenal. Um, but one thing I, I've kind of seen is that actually uh, people don't want to completely give up alcohol um, or, you know, completely fast or completely you know become a buddhist monk or whatever it is people still want to kind of have part of that aspect um in their life and, and actually i think that, that everything you know it's a cliche but everything in moderation is fine so what, what i'm trying to do is provide an alternative to um you know to uh, a healthy alcoholic alternative, if you will. Um, and I think, look, you've got a lot of these hard seltzer, which is, is, is alcoholic water. I don't know if you've tried it. Awful. Hate them. I'm, yeah. I know I'm probably going to be unpopular, but my, um, my, my old housemate, um, shout out to Kelly Lloyden. Um, yes, Kelly. She's a massive fan of the hard seltzers, but they're not yeah, so yeah, no, I will. I agree. And so this is where you need my hard kombucha because <laughs> in essence, it's, uh, it's something that's likewise low calorie, low sugar, organic, you know, gluten free, all, all, all the buzzwords that are currently, you know, popular, but actually it tastes delicious. And it's, you know, it's almost, it's almost got, um, well, it's called Booch Tail because it's a combination of Booch, which is the, um, which is the nickname for kombucha, but it's mm. in tail because it's taken, you know, cocktail. So it's Booch Tail. Gotcha. Uh, and it's, it is, it's, it's, it's the alternative between, uh, you know, your sickly horrible cocktails on the one hand and your uh, really rank hard salsa. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. Someone's popping into the room. Oh yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a, pod, a guest on the on the podcast here. Unintended. Um, okay. Is it Kelly? That's that will be Kelly Lloyden, yeah, the Kelly Lloyden of oh, the hard wow. of hard seltzer fame. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I I I think I can I'm going to have to get some of that off of you because 
those sugary cocktails i'm partial to one or two but when you get a night out on the cocktails the i call it the sugar hang because you get the hangover and you get the crash from having drunk probably about three kilo, three kilogram bags full of sugar you know comprised of you know mojitos woo woos you know whatever it is that a recruits drinks these days whatever's fashion <laughs> yeah for sure well yeah no um you know free box on me when it when it's fine hopefully it's going to be i'm you know going into manufacturing in the next month or two um so hopefully yeah it'll be it'll be retailing at the beginning of next uh, next year so get in there i mean i only started this podcast up in an effort to get free stuff and i haven't got anything free yet so um other than <laughs> other than your time you, other than your time <laughs> yeah, i wondered why you invited me on i thought yeah, i've got like amazing qcs i've got mindful coaches and then you just got me so yeah Free no, kombucha. Do, it, it, you've seen, you've seen, you've seen through the artifice. Um, <laughs> right, I've, uh, I've, I think I've had you for probably over our um, allotted hour time. Um, so obviously, don't worry. I'll be, uh, I'll be editing out all of the stupid things that I've said. Um, and so me, probably, please, mate. Yeah, yeah of course, <laughs> of course, don't worry. Um, into a, in, it, probably will have about three minutes worth of usable content. Um, I think given, given my previous podcasts have all run into the 60 minute plus, I've probably, probably got about, I think my mum's probably the only one that's finished all of them. So fair play to her. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, have you, uh, I, I, are we still on by the way? Or can we talk? Yeah, no, we, um, we can, I mean, I can just take this, take this bit off if you, if we, let's, let's, let's leave it there. Say goodbye. And yeah. say goodbye. Oh, thanks mate. Yo, mate, yeah. honestly, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having, uh, for taking the time to come on hashtag talk to me, the podcast.